Well, after watching all that, all I can say is happy Easter, church. It is so good for you to be with me here in God's house this morning, being able to, to celebrate our risen Savior and Lord. And so whether if you're a, a guest here today, I know we have several guests with us, or you're a member, I'm just thankful uh, that you're gathered with me today to be able to celebrate uh, the reason behind we are here, which is, again, all about Jesus. I hope that the songs we've sung this morning have already pointed us to that. I hope it's pointed us to the life of Jesus, uh, his sacrifice for us on the cross, ultimately to his resurrection as he's risen from the tomb. And so I'm just thrilled to be able to break the word of, of God with you today. And I want you to go ahead and grab your word of God, or your copy of it, that is, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Please turn there now. That's where we're going to we're going to be camped out for today, Hebrews chapter 10. And as you're turning there, and in way of, of introducing our text this morning, I want to just remind you of something, and this is going to be a theme all throughout this chapter and all throughout this message today. But what I want to remind you of is that all of us carry around scars. Okay, I want you to just pause and reflect upon that and, and think about that for a moment, that, that all of us, more than likely that is, carry around scars, and if you're like me, you probably have some stories that are associated with those scars. I actually have a couple I want to share with you. I'm totally going to embarrass myself, but that's part of my job. But when I was young, uh, I got a scar on my scalp when my younger brother, and guess what? My younger brother is here, and I get to point him out to you. He's right there. Go ahead and raise your hand. Yep, that was him. That was the one right there. He threw a metal crate at me. I mean, come on. I'm his brother after all. He throws a metal crate, literally hits me on the side of the head. I mean, blood gushing out everywhere. I have a scar. Later on, in, in, um, when I was playing baseball, I was, I was uh, I believe, at first or second base, and I had a runner slide into my shin with his metal cleats and his cleat implanting into my shin. That gave me a scar. In high school, and this is where it gets embarrassing, but I'm just going to tell this story anyway because it's my story and I just have to tell it. But I got another scar from accidentally scraping my finger on a side of a porcelain urinal uh, to the point where I had to get three stitches. I promise you I have a scar right there to prove that one. And Listen, you would think that would be my most embarrassing one, but in college when I was working at the University of, of uh, well, not University of Mississippi, Mississippi State, I'm so sorry about that. Let me make that very clear. But uh, in college, no, I was, uh, I was working, and uh, I was shutting an industrial-sized refrigerator, and I shut it before, not my head got out of the way, before my nose got out of the way, so right here on the side of my nose, I have a scar. Now listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I have the most clumsy pastor in this whole community, right? I mean, he's, he's awkward, he's clumsy, he has these just weird, crazy stories. That's probably true. Uh, I'm not going to deny any of that, but what I want to remind you of this morning is that all of us carry around scars, and not only do we carry around scars, but we carry around the memories of those scars as we see them and look at them in the mirror each and every day. In other words, these scars, they act as, as permanent reminders of the things that have happened in our past. They, they make up who we are. And the reason that I want to point that out to you this morning is because in a very similar way, that's also true of our sins. Because you see, not, not only do we have and carry around these physical scars, 
But as fallen creatures who live in a fallen world, we also have what I would call spiritual scars in that our hearts and our minds have been infected, they've been infiltrated due to the devastating effects of sin. And listen, if I wanted to, and I'm not, but if I wanted to, I I could stand up here and tell you story after story of these types of scars. Just as I did with my physical ones, I could share with you story after story of my spiritual scars due to the effects of sin. But there's, there's no need to do that, right? You see, at the end of the day, both you and I share something in common. And that is that all of us have sinned. All of us have these scars. All of us could share story after story after story of falling prey to fleshy desires, of neglecting our relationship with God, of of turning our back away from Christ, and the list could go on and on. You see, as sinners, we are all connected in that way. We all share these scars together, and, and let's just face it while we're talking about it. As the days go by, as the months go by, as the years go by, we just keep piling on these sins. We just keep piling on these scars, and so that puts us in a bit of a predicament, doesn't it? Because you see, while we recognize that, while we realize that, if we're being honest, we try to begin to compensate for it. Well, what can I do? How can I deal with that? And so we do that in a couple of different ways. Number one, for example, we try to deal with it in that we compare our scars to that of another person. In other words, while we recognize and realize that our life is filled with sin, we tend to look at other individuals and and say things like, well, at least I don't have that scar. At least I haven't committed that sin. And so in doing that, we try to tell ourselves that as long as we're doing better than him or her, then it's, it's going to be okay. It's an attempt to make us feel better about ourselves. But see, the problem with that is that doesn't really work, does it? At the end of the day, that doesn't really work because that doesn't really fix our own sinful issue. It doesn't really fix our, our own sinful state. So, since that doesn't pan out for us, another way that we try to to compensate and deal with our sins is just by trying harder. It's just by serving serving more. It's just by by getting more and more involved in the Christian faith as a whole. We call this the the works-based faith, in that we make attempt to, to try to appease God by doing all these things in the hopes that He might nullify or forgive our sins. But you see, the problem with that is that no matter how hard you try, you're going to keep on sinning. And so if this is your way to try to deal with your sins, then what you're going to quickly realize is that you're going to get caught up in this never-ending cycle trying to pay off for your sins. And because you can't pay off for your sins, which we'll get to more in a moment, and you keep on sinning, then you're going to quickly come to the conclusion that what you are doing is in vain. It's pointless. It's it's never going to work out for the way that you intended it to. 
And so if comparing our scars or our sins to others doesn't fix the problem of our sin, if, if trying to work off and pay for our sins doesn't seem to fix the problem of our own scars and sin, then the last thing that I see a lot of people do is just give up. It's just, it's just to indulge in their sins. This is what I call the, if you can't beat them, join them type of attitude. And so people who fall into this category, they indulge in a sinful lifestyle and, and willingly embrace the pleasures of this world. But you know, that doesn't really work out well for us, does it? In fact, I would imagine in a crowd this size, many of us could look back at our own lives, at our own rebellion. As we look back and see that that's the path that we chose, I myself chose that path. When I was younger, I rebelled. I indulged in these sinful lifestyles that I am referring to here, but I cannot tell you how lost I was. I cannot tell you why it looked like I was living the the good life on the outside. Inwardly, I was lost. Inwardly, I was depressed. Inwardly, I had this huge disconnect with God, and I fell deeper and deeper and deeper into my sins. And I would imagine for many of you today, you know exactly what I'm referring to. See, again and again, what we find is that none of these efforts work out for us in the end. The sins never leave. The scars, they they never disappear. They just act as constant reminders of our failures. But you know, while that's the reality of the world that we live in today as fallen sinners, as fallen creatures living in a fallen world, I am grateful that the Lord has given us another way. He's giving us another way that we can deal with our own spiritual sins and scars. And you see, unlike all these other ways that I've talked about with you thus far, this way is better. Not only is this way better, this way is perfect. Because through this way, not only can we receive full forgiveness for our sins, but we can experience eternal life in heaven that completely defeats the power of death and sin in our lives. You see, this better way, church, is Jesus. This better way, it's, it's found on the cross. This better way, it's found in the empty tomb. And this better way is explained for us in detail in Hebrews chapter 10. So let's read that beginning in verse 1 now. The scripture says, Since the law has only a shadow, I want you to underline that word shadow, of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins, but in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. They're they're scars. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, in the Old Testament days, there was a system where the priests would offer their sacrifices. They would offer the blood of bulls and goats, as this passage says, for for their sins and also for the sins 
of, their, of, of the people. And the system was the way that God had prescribed to them to deal with their sins. But as I noted in reading this, I want you to notice in verse 1, it was only a shadow of the good things to come. In other words, this system was not the, the remedy for their sins, but it was instead, as verse 3 says, a reminder of their sins year after year. See, this law, this system was, was not able to solve the problem of their sins, and so they could try harder. They, they could offer their sacrifices, but, but nothing they did in this system, which was the shadow could remedy the problem of their sins. No, instead, the only thing this system would do would remind them that they are sinful. It would remind them that they are condemned. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot like what I described our predicament to be. Because like the people under this system, we are constantly reminded day in, day out, that we are sinners, that we have scars, that we have reminders of our sins. But I want you to see in this passage of Scripture now is that while this system wasn't a a permanent remedy of the people's sins, it acted as a shadow that pointed them to the remedy for their sins. So look with me now, beginning in verse 5, as it explains this, the scripture says, Therefore, as he, that being Jesus, was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and soot offerings. And then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. Now, what I want you to understand here is that in this passage of Scripture, it's actually being quoted from another passage of Scripture. That other passage of Scripture is found in Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40 is an Old Testament book where Jesus was speaking through the prophets. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing right here is he's emphasizing for us some things that, 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 that he has pointed out that Jesus said through the shadow through this old system, through this old covenant to help us to know that he is coming around the corner. So in verse 8 now it says, after he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. In other words, these are the things the shadow says has to be done. But now look at verse 9. He then says, says, again, that being Jesus, see, I have come to do your will. You see, the shadow was not the will of God for remedying the problem of our sins. No, the shadow was, was pointing towards the solution, which was Jesus coming to make an offering for our sins. And that's why the scripture says, looking at the end of, of verse 9 now, it says, He takes away the first to establish the second. In in other words, Jesus takes away the sin offerings and and sacrifices that made up the shadow, and he establishes a new, a a perfect and final offering, which is made up of himself. Because you see, nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was perfect, Jesus, who was sinless, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live, and he died the death that you and I deserved to die. 
For example, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's what you and I deserve as a result of our sins. But get this, that same verse goes on to say, but the gift of God, the gift of God, that, that being Jesus, is eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, though we're reminded of our sins, though we deserve to be condemned for our sins, through Jesus' sacrifice, through this, through this new system, this new covenant, as the Bible says, we are fully forgiven of our sins. We are, we are fully restored in our sins. We are fully redeemed from our sins. See, that's the reason why we celebrate this week that we call Passion Week. It, it reminds us that Jesus came to suffer and die in our place. It reminds us that Jesus was beaten, flogged, tortured, and nailed to a cross all on our behalf. And it reminds us that he proved that he defeated sin and death by rising from the grave. Church, that's the message of the gospel. Church, that's the, that's the message of Easter. And that's the message I want you to understand today. And so looking at, at verse 10 now, and this is really the focal point of this entire passage, I believe. It says, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Now listen, as exciting as that verse is, and it should get you excited, I want to make sure that, that you are especially noticing what this scripture says at the beginning of this verse, as well as what this says at the end of this verse. Okay, for example, at the beginning of this verse, the scripture says, by this will, by, by this will. My, my question for you is, is, is whose will? Whose will? Wh- whose will is being referred to right here? You want to know? God's. God's will. Verse 9 says, Jesus came down from heaven to earth to do the will of of God and the will of God was for Jesus to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice and substitute for our sins which again is why verse 10 says by this will we have been sanctified in other words we've been made perfect we've been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ and now watch how this verse ends once for all time once for all time. So the reason why I'm making this verse to be such a big deal, and it is, is because it teaches us very, two very important things. Number one, it teaches us that in order for us to properly deal with our sins, we must not focus, on our, 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 we must not focus our time and energy on our will, but on God's will. In other words, through this verse, we must realize that while God would want us to live a life that is honorable, while he would want us to live a life that's going to please him and serve him and serve others, that in and of itself does not save us from our sins. It is said another way, your good works, comparing your spiritual life to others, will not save you from your sins, nor will it act as a substitute for your sins. Again, only God's will 
can accomplish that. And God's will, it's found in life. It's found in the death. It's found in the burial. It's found in the, the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus alone. See, what I want you to begin to, to wrap your mind around this morning is that it was God's will. It, 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 it was God's desire to send his son to die on the cross for the payment of your sins. He wanted to do that. He wanted to do that. Listen, I'm not saying that it didn't pain God. Okay, I don't know. I'm not God, but I'm thinking that it probably pained God. It definitely pained Jesus. But what I am saying is that God loves you so much that he was willing to do this for you. That he was willing to die on the bloody cross for your sins, for your scars, so that you can be reconciled, restored, and redeemed. Because that's how much God loves you. God loves you in that way. And get this, because some of us need to understand this this morning. Jesus' payment for your sins is once for all time, as verse 10 says. In other words, Jesus came to pay for our past sins, for our present sins, for our future sins, and he did that and rose from the grave to prove that his payment satisfied the requirement of our sins, that our sins are atoned for permanently, permanently. Hey, that's, that's why when we look at a cross, like that cross right there, that's why when we look at a cross, we realize that while, while Jesus died on it, while Jesus was nailed to it, it's now unoccupied. Hey, let that sink in. The cross is unoccupied because he's already done it. Jesus has already paid for your sins. And so this, this idea that God can't forgive me for my sins, that God can't forgive me of, of all the things that I've done, not only is that untrue, it's unbiblical. Because this passage reminds us that we no longer live under the law, which is the shadow, but that we instead live under the gospel, which is the light of Jesus himself. And so when we sin, and listen, we will, but when we sin, we don't have to give sacrifices for our sins. We, we don't have to try to pay off our sins. We don't have to wonder and question, is God going to forgive me for that? He is going to give you for, for that. And we can trust and know and believe that he will because he already has and he already has because Jesus has already paid for your sins in full. In other words, there's, there's no need for Jesus to climb back on that cross when you sin again. He's already done that. He's already paid for that in full. And to make this point all the more clear for us now, the writer of Hebrews continues on in verse 11 by saying these words. He says, every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time and time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. You know, in the Old Testament times, the temples where sin sacrifices, where sin offerings took place, were really very intricate and beautiful places. There, there was a lot involved with those temples. Okay, for example, we know that they would have had an ornate gate 
that would have surrounded the temple. We know that there would have been a court where the priests would have entered into the temple. We know that there would have been an altar where the animal sacrifice would have been laid. We know that there was a place called the Holy of Holies, which is where the Spirit of God Himself resided. But you know, as beautiful and intricate and complex as all of that is, there was one thing that you would never find in a temple. You know what that thing was? A chair. You would never find a chair in the temple. And the reason why you would never find a chair in the temple is because really when you think about it, there was no need for a chair. See, the priests, they're standing up. They're running around. Oh, i got to offer this sacrifice for this. Oh, i got to go do it over here. And so they're just running back and forth, desperately trying to pay for and atone for their sins, but not just their sins, but all these other people's sins. And so they're doing this over and over and over again. See, for the priests, their work was never done. So they could never stop. They could never sit down because it was never done. But you see, in contrast to all of that, verse 12 tells us that Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, which was himself, now sits down at the right hand of God. Something the priests could never do. They never could do something like that. But guess what? Jesus could and he did. Because his sacrifice paid for all of our sins for all time. In other words, when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when he hung on the cross and he gained enough breath to utter these words, it is finished, he meant it. He meant it for me. He meant it for you. And he proved it proved it on Resurrection Sunday, the day that we're celebrating today, because he proved that he defeated the grave. He defeated the power of, of death and its sting once and for all time. See, in this passage, the, the writer of Hebrews, he shows us that, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the permanent sacrifice. It shows us that he has replaced the shadow of this old system by coming down from heaven and offering himself as a final payment for our sins. It shows us that he is now seated down at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be his footstool. That's how sovereign he is. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit, just to emphasize this one more time, the Holy Spirit shows us one more thing about Jesus' perfect sacrifice for us. And so look with me now at what it says beginning in verse 15, the scripture says this. It says the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sins. So what these last four verses are telling us is that the Spirit of God wants us as believers to know that we now have a heart. We now have a mind that has written on it the law of God. The perfect law of God that Jesus himself fulfilled. 
Church, is that not amazing? That if you are a believer, you have a heart and a mind that has written on it the very law of God. Now, how does that happen? Because, listen, this is important for us to understand. Because, you see, God did not take our heart and mind that is calloused and scarred with sin and then write over those scars and say, this is my law. Like the old system, all that would have done was just remind us of our sins. It would just remind us that we deserve to be condemned. No, instead what God did is he took that heart, he took that mind that was scarred, that was callous with sin, and he took it away. And he paid for it in full on the cross so that he could give us a brand new heart, a brand new mind that no longer is tainted by our failures. Okay, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old Our old sinful self has passed away. That's our scarred and sinful heart. That's our scarred and sinful mind. And behold, the new has come. And so through Jesus' sacrifice for us, we are giving a new heart that has God's law written on it. We are giving a, a new mind that has God's law written on it. And get this, this heart, this mind that is gifted to us by God will never be scarred again. Never once will it be scarred by the effects of sin again because through Jesus' scars, through His scars on His wrist, through His scars on His legs, our sins have been eradicated. Our sins have been paid for in full. See, what the Spirit of God is reminding us of in this passage is that through Christ, you and I are forgiven. I'm going to say that again because while that's simple, I believe someone needs to hear that. Simple message today. Through Christ, your sins, yes, even that one that you're thinking about has been paid for in full, forgiven completely. You are made righteous. You are made holy. You are made perfect, not because of your own self, but because of Jesus who lives in you in the eyes of God. Not only have you been forgiven in that way, I love verse 17. i got to mention it. It says that God's never going to remember your sins again. So not only are we going to be forgiven of our sins, but God's not even going to remember our sins through Christ. And listen, I know some of you here this morning are still fighting that truth. I know some of you here this morning are saying, I don't know. Listen. You don't know what I've done. Does God not know what I did that night? See, I have too many scars, Jeremy. I have too many failures, Jeremy. I have too many sins, Jeremy. But listen to me here. God knew that better than you know it yourself, yet he still chose to come down on this earth and die for them and pay for them in full so that you could be forgiven so that you could be set free, so that you could be redeemed. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and ask Brandy and the praise team to come up. They're going to, they're going to in a moment, they're going to lead us into a time of, of worship where I truly want you to just reflect and hopefully in some way respond to the message that God has given us today. But listen, as they're getting ready to do that, I want you right now, where, where you're seated, we're seated, 
I want you to go ahead and just bow your head. I want you to close your eyes right where you are right now. I know that we have some of us watching online. You can do that right now in your home. I know that we have some of us watching right now in our gym. You can do that right now in the gym. I want you just to bow your head. Close your eyes right where you are. I want you to begin to consider how you think God wants you to respond to his word today. For example, some of you here today, you've already made this decision to follow Christ and praise God. You've already experienced the freedom of being completely forgiven of your sins and and you're resting in that truth. So listen, if that's you today, and again, praise God if it is, but if that's you, maybe God wants you just to revel in that this morning. When's the last time you've just been in awe of the gospel? To just want to just sit at your feet and just be amazed by the power of the cross. Maybe for others of you, He just wants you to to thank Him. To truly and and genuinely mean that that you are thanking Him for sending His Son as as the perfect and permanent sacrifice for your sins. When the praise team comes up here in a moment in time of worship, maybe He wants you to sing along. Yes, I know some of you maybe can't sing, but you can make a joyful noise. Maybe God wants you to make a joyful noise for your love and devotion towards Him and for His Son, Jesus. For those of you, though, for those of you, maybe you're here today and you know that your relationship with God, it's, it's, it's not where it needs to be, if you're being honest. Maybe for some of you, you've, you've grown up in church, but, but over time, you've slowly begun to, to drift away from the Christian faith. You've slowly begun to drift away from your beliefs. Doubts entered into your mind, and maybe you're here today, and maybe for some of you, you just you haven't even made a decision follow Christ, to to give your life to Him so that He can forgive you of your sins. Listen to me, if you feel like I'm talking directly to you right now, then perhaps through divine intervention I am. Perhaps God has brought you to this service not so that you can feel good about yourself, not so that you can check it off your spiritual to-do list, not so that you can appease that certain family member who begged you to come today. No, maybe he brought you here because he wants to get your attention. Maybe he brought you here because he wants to speak into your heart. Maybe he brought you here, and if you let him, will save you from your sins today. Friend, I want you to know that through Jesus, you are forgiven. Yes, even you. Yes, even that sin, completely forgiven. You're set free. I want you to know that that, that through His resurrection, you are no longer dead in your sins, but alive. But in order for that to take place, you must first believe. You must believe. You must believe that you are a sinner. You, You must believe that through these things, you are condemned. The wages of sin is death. And you must believe that Jesus is the only way to save you from that that you can receive salvation so that you can receive forgiveness from those things. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed right now, what I want you to do is this.
you're someone today who, who wants to receive Christ for the first time, if, if you're someone here today who's maybe drifted away from the power of the gospel in their life and, and you want to recommit your life to Christ, I want you right now as a sign of declaration just to slip your hand up. Right now, where you stand, just, just slip your hand up. Okay, don't be afraid. It's between you and God. And this is not to be showy. This is to show that you're serious. That this is not some fleeting decision, but that you want to be committed to this. That you want to be made righteous in the eyes of God. That you want to, you want to draw your relationship back to Him. Amen. Praise God for your decision today. It's the best decision that we could ever make. It's a, it's a great day to do that on a day like today. Listen, I'm going to pray, and when I get done praying, I'm going to ask you to stand, and if you want to make a decision, if, if you raised your hand just then, and you want to come forward and make that decision public, you can do that. If you want to just, again, revel in the truth and the power of the gospel and the scripture and the words that we're going to sing, you can do that. If you need someone to pray for you this morning, I'm here available for that. There's other people in this room that would be willing to do that. How does God want you to respond this morning? And will you be humble and faithful and obedient to do the things that he's leading you to do right now? Father, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you so much for the power of the cross. God, for the power of the tomb. For the power of the resurrection, Father, you sent your Son for us, sinners, scarred, condemned people. God, so that we may be made righteous in your eyes. So that we may be given a, a new heart, a new mind that has your law written on it. So that we can be seen as perfect and righteous in your eyes. Father, I thank you for that, God. As we come now to the conclusion of our service, I pray that we would continue to respond and reflect upon these things however you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have a time of closing and invitation?